Welcome back to Autzen and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is digitally across the way. How you guys doing? How you doing, Eric? Pretty darn good. Excited to get going here on some hoops today. Yeah, it's 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 middle of July, but we're gonna talk some Oregon basketball hoops because some big news has happened recently, and we'll we'll break all that down. But uh, uh, including a verbal commitment for the Ducks, and it's a big one. Um, but first, if you want to subscribe to uh, the Duck Territory uh, website and get VIP membership access. You can do that for as low as $1 for 30 days. Uh, or if you're a month-to-month subscriber and you're looking to you know, save up more than a few bucks, save a lot of money on your subscription, you could switch to annual. Or if you're a new subscriber and you want to go all in uh, and, and subscribe for an annual subscription, your first year comes out to being $6.26 a month. For your first year of an annual subscription, that's an unreal price. Uh, both of those are the lowest around. I, I can almost personally guarantee, I'm not going to personally guarantee, but I feel pretty confident that if you subscribe, you will be uh, very happy with, with the product that Eric, myself, Kevin, and the rest of the 24-7 Sports Network provides uh, you for Oregon basketball, Oregon football, Oregon recruiting for both sports, Oregon women's basketball, Oregon softball, Oregon baseball. The list goes on and on. Uh, we cover the whole gamut at uh, DuckTerritory.com. So, uh, but first, Eric, let's let's get into this. Um, we're recording this on a weekend, and so I will be on vacation. So I'm coming back from time apparently uh, to record this podcast. But Friday night of last week. Almost like a Kawhi Leonard-ish type of move. Shakur uh, Justin, the guy that everyone was waiting on to see what he was going to do. He ESPN rated him as the number three transfer in uh, this cycle, and no one knew for for weeks what he was, where he was going, and, and what his thinking was. You know, we we reported on on DuckTerritory.com that you know things looked good for Oregon, but everyone was kind of why is he waiting? We don't really know. Uh, and then Friday night at like nine o'clock at night, he announced, uh, he was going to Oregon. And this is a monumental get for, uh, this season and for what the Ducks needed, uh, ahead of this season. Absolutely, Matt. And I think the thing, we were kind of in a waiting pattern for a while. And I, and I don't know if it was just a hang up with, with what he was trying to do, but Oregon's season now and kind of the outlook for it, I think changes significantly. Cause not only is this a guy who two years ago, we should mention last year at UNLV, he played eight games and he had a meniscus injury and didn't play the rest of the season. So that, that year it's kind of hard to, to really look and pick through and take much from. But the year before that, in 2017-18, this guy was a 15-10 and 10 guy, an, all camp, an all-conference player, a guy who uh, I posted on my film review here. He, he had 21 points and nine rebounds and four block shots and 10 of 14 shooting against Arizona. Uh, so a very high-caliber player. And the outlook now, I think, really changes. But, again, not only because of the caliber of player he is, 15 and 10 kind of guy, but because he's a veteran presence. And Oregon really needed some guys down low. Like, like point blank, uh, he steps in and becomes, I think, by far their most expected to be productive uh, post player down low. They're probably their best rim protector. Certainly going to be, their, I would expect, their leading rebounder. Uh, this is a guy who, who really checks a lot of boxes for an Oregon program which – uh, up until yesterday, had eight guys ready for the season next year. Only three of those guys had really played uh, high D1 basketball with Oregon. I should mention Anthony Mathis. So four of those guys had played high D1 basketball prior to yesterday. That's a huge addition. And, and this guy brings a lot to the table 
Uh, again, he's he's really long and athletic. I think his athleticism maybe surprises people. It did me when I turned it on. But this guy gets up really, really quickly. He's got long arms. He only blocked about one shot per game at UNLV. But in the highlights against uh, against Arizona, you see that length and the ability to do that at the back end. So I think he's a plug-in at the four position. I think he steps in and is pretty much locked up as the, the starting power forward for this team. And then you look at just the collection of them around him. This team actually starting to look pretty good, Matt. I, I think... Uh, you posted this yesterday, but right after the, the, the NCAA tournament run came out, it was kind of like Oregon's going to be a top five team, and then everybody stays in the draft, or many people stay in the draft and expected. <laughs> and it's like, are they even going to be able to field the team? And now we're looking at it, uh, you know, kind of mid July, and it's like maybe they're back to close to where they would have been if Lewis King and Kenny Wooten and a couple of guys hadn't took off. Yeah, I, I certainly think that there's um, some value in having returning experience, and so I, I, right. I and. So I don't think, you know, when, when Oregon season ended and it was April 1st and everyone was looking at, you know, preseason rankings, way too early stuff, you know, everyone was, was talking about Oregon being a five top 10 program. And a lot of that was because A, they're really good. B, a lot of guys are coming back from a sweet 16 team and they've reloaded, uh, with some talent now. And, but I, they don't have that chemistry together. They don't have, you know, the experience in the system. So I think that hurts them a little bit. But yeah, and I, I said that seriously on Twitter that, you know, I, I look at them now and, you know, they're, in my opinion, they're a, a top 25-ish team. Maybe that puts them, you know, 17 or 18, uh, or maybe, you know, saying top 20 is, is a better comment. But you look at this team now, and, and Eric, we've said this before on the podcast, when the roster was at six, that they had talent. It just wasn't that they had a lot of talent and you needed, you know, seven, eight, nine guys to get through the rigors of a 30, a 31 game regular season, uh, you know, a three or a four game Pac-12 tournament. And then, you know, two, three, four, five, six games of an NCAA tournament. You need more than six guys to do that. And so it was the bigger issue of just they need to find guys that 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 they know that they can get, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes out of them, you know, on a consistent basis to be able to play at, at the level that we think they could. And and now they've done that because the roster was at 6. They went out and they landed a grad transfer in Anthony Mathis, who started at New Mexico, high school teammates with Peyton Pritchard. He led the Lobos in scoring with 14 points per game, elite three-point shooter, um, he's not going to be a you know a lockdown defender like an Ehab Amin, but you know you're you're basically going the, like the polar opposite of an Ehab Amin who's just who could guard anybody essentially, but is, was very average defensively uh, offensively to a guy now that's an Anthony Mathis that's you know an elite shooter. You give him a sliver of a look and he's gonna he's gonna make the shot to and then on the defensive end, it's he's probably not going to be your best defender. No. He's probably, you know, he's probably not going to be, you know, your, your, even your fourth or your fifth best defender on the team. But that's okay. And then you also add a, a Luke Wer, a guy that, you know, exploded on the recruiting scene once he got his grades in order and was eligible to, to play in college, uh, six foot nine. And this is the type of guy that I was talking about. You know, just find a guy that can give you, you know, seven minutes a game. And I think that's going to be kind of Luke Wer's you know, going in at least his expectation for playing time. And then now you've added, uh, Justin and a, and a guy that not only can play, he might be your second or third best player on this team. 
Here's a question I was just thinking here, Matt. Could you make an argument that maybe the ceiling isn't as high with this year's team as last year, but maybe the floor is a little bit higher? Just because you look at this team now and there's three guys in Pritchard, Mathis, and Justin now who are seniors who have who played quite a bit of college basketball, who have been productive collegiate basketball players. I and mean, all three guys have averaged somewhere around 15 points in at least one season in college. Could you make the argument that the floor for this year's team, building around those three guys with a couple returning guys in Richardson Okoro, with a CJ Walker, with a Chris Duarte, could actually, the floor could be a little bit higher. Maybe the ceiling isn't quite as high as it was last year where if Bull Bull would have been healthy and King Tick took a bit little bigger step, they could have gone a little bit further than they did. But I think the, maybe I'm just making this point. Maybe I don't have to ask you. I, th- I think the floor is higher for this group. I think that the likelihood of them being where they were, this last year's team was mid-March, where they were totally looked like out of the NCAA tournament possibilities. I don't think we're going to get to a point with this team. I think this team has enough veteran presences now. And you mentioned, and it's true, that they, they do have to kind of, there's a chemistry thing. They're going to have to get together and kind of figure out how everybody meshes together. But I just think the fact that you're building around three seniors who are pretty high-level players, and you have a guy like Chris Duarte, who's a top junior college guy, and you have some of these other returning players, I just think that this year's team they might not be a Final Four caliber team. They probably won't be. But I think they're certainly going to be a team that competes for the conference, which I don't know if we kind of felt like we could say based upon the way last year's season went up to a certain point. Yeah, I I would agree with you. I I think um, I was still saying that with with the six guys, they had the talent to compete. They just didn't have the bodies. And it was kind of a, you know, if they could just get a couple more guys, they're certainly going to be in the picture because I felt like, I'm very high on Peyton Pritchard. I think he turned a corner. He figured things out in in late February and into March uh, of, la- of last year, and you know of, of how to be the leader and how to be that go-to guy and how to be the voice of the team. I think that finally clicked for him. Uh, he he, and then I I think Okoro is a very valuable piece, even if he doesn't statistically stand out in the box score. Um, I, I think he's kind of that alpha dog, the, the guy that gets everybody going. That you know lean on him for hard work examples type whatnot. And yeah, I, I'm really high on, on Will Richardson. I, I think he didn't show all the tools in his, on his tool belt last season because of Peyton Pritchard, because of Lewis King, Bull Bull. Um, you know, you go through the list of guys and I think he just knew like, Hey, this is my role this year and I'm not going to do more. I'm not going to do less, but this is who I am. I think he's, he's got more left in him that, we haven't really even seen yet on the floor. Um, but then I'm, I'm really high on, you know, the impact of a Crystal Duarte and a guy like um, CJ Walker. Those two players are instant impact players, I think. Chandler Lawson might be, um, you know, a, a guy similar to maybe a Miles Norris. But I just felt like this team, you know, they were there. They just needed the depth. And now that they've – I mean, not, not only have they added depth, but they've gotten two guys in Anthony Mathis and Shakur Justin, two players that aren't just guys that, that say, hey, we're going to get 10, 15 minutes from you every night that we can consistently count on and compete at the Pac-12 level. They're getting two guys that are going to push for starting spots. I mean, I, I think Justin is hands down a starter. I don't know how he doesn't start. I think Mathis, you could make a case, you know, for some lineups, maybe this is where we go next, um, of him coming off the bench or him starting. Um, I personally think he starts. Um, I, but I, I just think that now, you know, not only have they added some pieces to the puzzle that aren't 
guys that are going to be five or ten minute players. They're they're starter caliber guys, and 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 Justin in, in, in particular is, I think he's an All Pac-12 caliber player, uh, first, second, or third team. I think he's that good, and they now have, in my opinion, three or four of those guys on their team. Peyton Pritchard being one. Uh, I think Chris Duarte is going to be one, and then C.J. Walker and now uh, Justin are, are, are two other players that I think are going to be, you know, all Pac-12 caliber players. Okay, let's try to solve this starting five thing because we were messaging a little before this, and we decided to shelf the conversation because we wanted to happen organically on a podcast. But uh, Oregon now has enough players to actually talk about different starting fives, which is I'm not sure is something that we could have really said like even two days ago no. <laughs> because like, they had eight players and it was kind of clear. I think we did have some decent discussions on our message board about a couple of how a couple of things would fit together, but we, I think it's pretty clear. I think in my mind, there's four guys who I feel are like borderline locks to start. And that would be Pritchard, Duarte, Justin now. And then I think Francis Socorro is going to be your starting center. He's just the only guy that really has that physicality and size to really do it, unless they went really small in which they could do something else. To me, that other spot sort of comes down to, and it's kind of counterintuitive because they don't play quite the same position, but you get creative and Altman we've seen do this, but it comes down to me about Mathis and CJ Walker for the yeah. other, other spot. And it's, yeah. is, is Mathis coming in at shooting guard and start, or do you have Duarte kind of slide to the shooting guard? Walker fills in at kind of the three. And I think it's an interesting discussion. I, you know, over the last couple of cycles, Oregon's brought in a lot of five-star talents. Those guys have started basically from day one on those teams. And we can argue, and maybe this is what we talk about it for better or worse if it was the case that those guys were kind of thrust into those situations. But I just look at Walker and I go, this guy is probably the most physically gifted guy on the team. Uh, from all accounts and everything we've heard, he's a good team player, a team guy who's – you've heard some good things about just kind of how he's working with the program this summer. I just feel like it's it's hard to think of a, a starting five, at least maybe once you get into the heart of the season, where Walker's not one of those five guys. Yeah, it's I think this is going to be a very tough decision for Dana Altman to make. And 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 maybe it's as simple as not to flip the script here, but maybe it's as simple as hey, let's let's not start Francis Okoro. Let's start just uh Justin at at center, Walker at power forward, Duarte at small forward and Mathis at shooting guard and Peyton Pritchard at point guard. Um right. I I think the answer to whoever starts is what spaces the four best. What what lineup can we put out there that we can start and that we can finish games with as well that spaces the floor best? Because I go back to the 2018 2000 or excuse me 2017-2018 season, the year that they the, the year after the final four year. That line that team for whatever reason I, I do not know because they had shooters on that team could not space the floor. They, they did not have the threat to space the floor. And then because of that, opponents zoned the Ducks or they played a matchup zone or they, you know, they played a sagging man to man defense and they clogged the lane and their whole game plan was, okay, let's force Peyton Pritchard either to drive into traffic and, you know, try and shoot some kind of shot with a double team or a triple team with a big player around him. Or let's just force him to kick it out to somebody else and, and they have to go one-on-one or shoot a contested jumper. And for the most part, it worked the entire season. Oregon, for whatever reason, could not, you know, they could not space the floor and have the threat of a three-point shooter on, on either wing. 
And part of that was, you know, Troy Brown was not as good of a three-point shooter maybe as expected. Elijah Brown was, you know, when he was on, he was on. But when he was off, he was bad. Um, you know, Victor Bailey wasn't, you know, all the way there yet. And outside of that, they didn't really have anyone consistently hitting threes. Paul White maybe. Um, and then this past year, that was problem. That was part of the problem, aside from all the injuries and, and whatnot. But that was part of the problem is they couldn't space the floor well enough, especially when Bull Bull went down. But then they found the rotation that worked, and it included Lewis King and Paul White as your wings, and then Kenny Wooten and Francis Okoro, two guys who couldn't shoot the basketball. But because of Paul White and because of Lewis King's ability to spread, you know, spread the floor and demand defenses, you know, stay with them on the wings because if you left them open, they would hit the three. That allowed Peyton Pritchard to drive and throw the lobs to to Wooten and to Coro, and that allowed him to get layups and, you know, find other guys on backdoor cuts and whatnot. And so I think the lineup that, that they find this year, it's going to be the one that, that has the best ability to space the floor. And so I think going into the season – that means Anthony Mathis starts, and I think that means at shooting guard, and I think Chris Duarte is at small forward. And then it's up to, you know, okay, can – are we is, is Oregon going to be better off with Okoro at center and, and Justin at power forward, or is Oregon going to be better off with, with Justin at center and C.J. Walker at power forward or some kind of combination of that? I Right now, I you kind of nailed it on the head, and I'm taking a really long way to get there, but I think it, it – it depends upon the shooting ability and the consistency of CJ Walker. If he can consistently knock down the three point shot, he starts at small forward. Crystal Duarte goes down to shooting guard. You bring Anthony Mathis off the bench as your six man flamethrower. But if, if CJ Walker cannot consistently hit the three, you sit him down and you tell him, look, we're going to bring you off the bench. And there is a history. Marvin Williams went number two in the NBA draft as the sixth man on the North Carolina team that won it all. You will have your opportunities still to play a ton of basketball, showcase your talents. You're just not doing it as a starter buy-in. I'm loving the uh, Marvin Williams deep cut there, Matt. That is that is vintage. <laughs> I'm all about that. I think another small element, just on the three-point shooting thing, I agree with your points, and I think those are valid points. And we look back at last season, too, and just of they were at their best when they had more shooters on the court. And that was a weird lineup, but it worked. But my one thought here I just had in and, and watching Shakur uh, Justin, uh, you know, his highlights, is maybe he develops a bit of a more of a three-point shot. Now, in 2017-18, he only tried two. He made them both, so he's 100% that season. And then last year, before injury, he tried 13 threes in eight games. So he was putting them up at a little bit more high level, shot 31%. I wonder if he can develop that shot, and maybe he's somebody that puts up one or two a game and hits them at a decent clip, if that sort of changes the spacing too. Um, I'm not sure he's ever going to be as good a three-point shooter as most of the guys on the team, but sort of something to think about considering he's now had a little bit of a, a long break from the season. Maybe that's something he, he spent some time working on, he, and that can be an actual weapon for him. Uh, this upcoming year, without a doubt, and then and the thing that's really important for the spacing and the shooting is if because if you have a Duarte and you have a Mathis or if you have a a Mathis and an, uh, a Will Richardson on the wings who are hitting threes, and that opens the floor for Peyton to go one on one against his guard. There's not really a guard in the Pac-12 that we know of as of today that you can say he's going to lock Peyton Pritchard up. I feel pretty confident in saying, you know, okay, Peyton, 
you need you have you know 15 seconds. You need to either get to the rim yourself for a shot, or you need to attack the key and draw the defense to you and, and find somebody else. And I feel pretty confident in him being able to do that. And the, the luxury now is is they've got Okoro, they've got Walker, they've got Justin, they've got Luke Wer, they've got Chandler Lawson, five guys that are uber athletic, very long, and can jump the heck out of the, out of the gym. That we are going to continue to see those famous alley oop dunks that Peyton Pritchard would throw to Kenny Wooten. Um, I, I think we're going to continue to see a ton of alley oop dunks because he's very good at seeing that. And Oregon now has five guys that are incredibly long, incredibly athletic. That if Peyton gets into the paint, defenses are going to have to suffocate to him, and he's he's good enough to find the lobs. Yeah, I like the way the dynamic of this team is setting up. And, and again, they've added some big athletic guys to rim run in just in the last couple of months here with, with War and, and now with Justin. And, and I'll be really interested to see defensively, I guess, would be the one thing that I'll be curious to see how that plays out. Um, Mathis, as you mentioned, is not known as a plus defensive player. Pritchard is actually, I think, developed into a really nice defensive player, was really active with his hands. Duarte, I think, is known as an okay defensive player. Justin is known as a pretty good defensive player. But the rest of it, it's going to be some question marks. And last year, the team really came together when they figured that out defensively. And maybe this is a good transition into schedule talk here in a second. But I I just wonder about this team defensively. Will they start out the season defending at a high level? They don't have that Ehab Amin guy out there who can really kind of get things, uh, you know, provide that that energy and, and kind of momentum off the bench. Defensive side of the ball will be kind of an interesting thing to see play out because, as we know, when these Dana Altman teams start playing really high at a high level in February and March, it's largely because of how they play on that side of the ball. Yeah, and, and that's 100% right. That's a good point. Is And, the, and that's another thing we haven't touched on is um, Dana Altman's got a group now that are very long and very athletic, and I say that a lot, but – they can guard multiple positions. And a big reason why that lineup of Okoro, Wooten, White, King, and Pritchard, and then you could sometimes substitute Ehab Amin or Will Richardson into one, into that lineup for one, you know, one of the other bigger guys. A big reason why that lineup was so successful was because they could switch essentially every screen. They could move off any, any kind of defense. And they had the versatility of guys guarding every position. And that's starting to look like they're going to be the case again this upcoming season. Now it's going to take some time to figure out and there's obviously going to be that learning curve. But once they do figure out the, the ins and outs and the dynamics of this defense, they are going to have a similar ability to mix and match just like last year's team did. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, and now let's let's get back to some scheduling. And Eric, you you talked about um, on the site on DuckTerritory.com about how historically Dana Altman has has found a good way of scheduling some games against non-conference opponents. You know, a couple of games every year, but this year seems to be just astronomically difficult compared to previous years. Yeah, one of the things I looked at yesterday, and it's up on the site, uh, I wrote a story kind of looking at the history of, of non-conference under Dana Altman. And I think the thing that stood out and it was surprising to me is that they'd only scheduled or at least only played seven teams ranked at the time of those games in non-conference play. And that really, I think, is pretty surprising because it, it does seem like they've played some tougher teams uh, historically. But this year, there's there's a possibility that they'll play seven ranked opponents in this year alone, and, and, and this is kind of a best-case scenario. They're going to a couple tournaments where that might factor in. We should mention the big news here is Oregon will play Seton Hall on the opening day uh, of the Battle for Atlantis down in the Bahamas. I believe that's November 27th. Yep. Um, so, you know, that, and they're, and they're predicted to be uh, potentially the winner of the Big East, a top 10, top 15 caliber team. I just saw rankings, uh, that had their star player, uh, as one of the top five guys nationally. And that just sort of speaks to the talent uh, of what they'll be facing, uh, uh, next year in that game. But they also have games against Memphis. They also have games against Michigan and Baylor and Houston and Boise State, all of which are good teams. The last two probably not going to be ranked. And then, there's a possibility at, that they'll play in the battle for, uh, uh, sorry, the battle for Atlantis, Gonzaga in the following game, and North Carolina's also in that bracket. So if Oregon were to get really hot uh, in that opening tournament there, I think it's like, again, late November, they could theoretically play Seton Hall, who's considered a top 15 team, Gonzaga a top 10 team, and North Carolina a top 10 team in three, in three days. So uh, again, the possibility of a really, really good schedule for Oregon, and again, with the way things have gone in the non-conference the last couple of years and the difficulty in kind of reaching an at-large bid, this sets up, again, an opportunity for uh, a really nice non-conference schedule and maybe the best non-conference schedule. I think it looks like it should be the best non-conference schedule under Dana Altman at Oregon. It's a matter of how they go out and compete in those games because if they end up being like 10-3 and three going into conference play and their three losses are all to pretty good ranked teams and they have some wins, they could be a team that is looking at a, you know a pretty nice berth. And we saw the last couple of years with Arizona State parlaying their non-conference success into conference play where they didn't play very well but still finding a way into the tournament. I think Oregon could be a kind of a team like that who then plays into the conference uh, season. And obviously Oregon historically under Altman has performed very well, could set up for a really nice seed line uh, come March next year. Yeah, I think when they were building this this schedule, um, the idea was that they would have Lewis King, they would have right. Kenny Wooten, Miles Norris, Victor Bailey. So they were banking on the fact that, hey, we're going to be an experienced team that made the Sweet 16 that's loaded for a run to the Final Four. And so I think, you know, in hindsight, if they had known that you know, all those defections were going to happen, they maybe probably wouldn't have scheduled as many tough games. But I like it. I, I think oh, this yeah. is a good. I think this is a good move. Even if 
excuse me, even if you have the inexperience within the system that they have now this season, because it's going to force the guys those first week, few weeks of training camp. It's going to force the guys this summer to, you know, to really buy in, to really, you know, go in and, and be focused and, and not have off days and, and really hammer home of, hey, if, if we're not ready, we're going to get embarrassed the first game of the season because, oh, by the way, we're playing one of the top five players in the country and a team in Memphis that's going to be absolutely loaded. We're going to play a Houston team that straight up manned us and was tougher than us the year before at their place, and they're going to be back again to, to make another run in the tournament. They're playing a Baylor team that's going to be in the top 20 at home. You don't want to be embarrassed at home on your home floor. You're going to Michigan. That We said this off the air. that I think that's going to be a, like a CBS national game, one of those doubleheader, tripleheader games in mid-December when, when football is over and CBS you know, really ramps up their college basketball coverage. That just feels like that type of a game. So they're going to have a lot of opportunities. And I even mentioned the battle for Atlantis of – you know, uh, uh, Seton Hall, who's going to be a top 10 team, a potential matchup against Gonzaga. Duck fans have been wanting to see that for years. And then if they somehow get through all that, they could potentially play North Carolina, uh, in, in that tournament, or they could play Michigan again, um, in, 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 the, in that tournament. And this schedule is, is going to be grueling. It's going to be demanding. Um, and they've got, you know, solid other opponents. Uh, you know, Boise State's on the schedule. They're going to be a, you know, a decent Mountain West program. Um, it's going to be very difficult, and I think it's going to kind of force the acceleration of the buy-in and understanding. Because if if they don't, and and they do go two and five or one and six, you know that's killer for their non you know for their tournament at large chances. And so they, they're gonna they're gonna know going in these are games that are uber important that we can't you know show up unprepared for. We got to be ready to go. You mentioned this team coalescing and coming together right at the beginning of the season because this, this, the schedule is so grueling. And, and again, you're right, it starts that way with Memphis in the opener important, and that's going to be a awesome game if you're a college basketball fan in the state of Oregon to check out. Who else do we think theoretically could be part of this team when they do kick off the season next year? Because like we said, they now have nine players, which is theoretically enough to sort of field the team and you could play with nine scholarship guys. I think you'd prefer to probably have 10, 11, mm-hmm. some more, more in that range. And we should also mention, and if you're listening, you're probably where there are a couple of transfers that are sitting out this year and Eric Williams and I'm going to butcher the name, but uh, I think it's Emmanuel or whatever transfer from Rutgers. I just totally butchered his name, but who, who, how, who else do you think right now, Matt is on the radar and, and do you think Oregon could theoretically just take nine and move on? Yeah, so like you said, they've got 11 scholarships. Eric Williams and Eugene Omari are redshirting. There's very little chance that either of those guys get waivers. I don't even think they're pursuing waivers right. to be able to play right away. So they have two spots left. And I think it's basically now come down to two guys that are in the 2020 recruiting class that or, that are considering moving into 2019. Um, that's Infale Dante, the five-star center, six foot eleven. I think he's like ranked 11th in the country. Uh, and then there's Addison Patterson, a 6'6 guard from Bella Vista Prep Academy and, and Scottsdale, also from Canada. Um, both of those players haven't decided what they're doing. And I want to say that clearly. They haven't decided what they are doing yet. They're still considering, do they stay in 2020 and just play another year of high school ball and then go on to college? Or are they done playing high school basketball and do they want to pursue going into 2019? And then on top of all that, can they? 
that's another question is, are they eligible to, are they, you know, do they have their grades in order? And that's, you know, so there's a lot of fact finding from those groups you know, camps right now of, okay, if we do go down the path of 2019, can we even get into school? Is that something that's possible? And so they're, they're waiting on, both those players are waiting on, you know, finishing up the peach jam, which just wrapped up in, uh, in the Georgia area this weekend. It's the, basically the last big AAU tournament of the year. Um, and then on top of that, it's now that that's over. Okay. Now what, where, where, what do we want to do next? And Oregon's, uh, Oregon's approach has always been 2020. You know, we've got a spot 2019. We've got a spot. I think they would take both. I don't know why they wouldn't. Um, they would take one of each, you know, individually if, if one of them wanted to come and one of them you know, obviously didn't want to, they would be okay with that as well. And then I think out after that, I just don't, I haven't pursued the, you know, the market yet of who's still available for grad transfers, but there really is anyone else out there that I think is an absolute, yeah, we take him, we need him, go, go, go get him type of a player. Um, so I, I think they would be okay going in with nine, but I, ideally they probably would rather have, you know, one, you know, more player, you know, but if, if both came, they would probably, they would take both. That I feel confident in saying. And so it's kind of just, uh, that's where they're at. I, I, I can't see anyone else, you know, Eric being added to that, uh, to that, to the roster. So, you know, with that being said, we're now kind of in a wait and see mode of what happens in 2020. Uh, if, if Patterson and, and Folly Dante decide to, to go to 19. And then from there, if they do, then it's just, can you get them on campus? and get him enrolled into school. So that's going to do it for us uh, on the podcast. Um, for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prame, thanks for listening to the show. We'll talk to you uh, sometime next week when we get you ready for Pac-12 football media days, which Eric and I will both be at. Until we talk to you then, see you later. Adios, amigos.